It's nice to be here. Uh, I have my wife with me this uh, morning, sitting across to the right, sitting next to her aunt, who we're staying with uh, this week, who lives in Vancouver. Uh, we are living in Toronto, but with uh, a national responsibility with InterVarsity, I'm trying not to be of Toronto. So it's important that I get about the country and uh, interact with real people. So it's, uh, it's good, to, good to be here this morning. We've been in uh, Manitoba and Alberta over the last uh, couple of weeks, as well as spending this week in BC, so it's been nice to see some grass and some blossom and some sunshine. And we go back uh, east tomorrow morning in the expectation that spring is coming there also, but without any clear evidence that that is the case to this, uh, to this point. We moved from uh, New Zealand um, in September of last year. About a year ago, I had sustained quite a bad injury when I was coaching field hockey, where I was hit at point-blank range by a ball. And that resulted in me being in hospital and eventually requiring an operation to, to fix uh, the break in my foot. Now, I hadn't been in hospital uh, since I was six when I had my tonsils out. So it was a bit of a, a shock to the system being in hospital and having an operation. So you get kind of wheeled down, and those of you who've had operations recently will know this. You have to sign paperwork with the anaesthetist, basically saying that it's not likely you're going to die, but if you do, it's not their fault. <laughs> and then you get taken into, you get taken into um, surgery. I think I was in surgery for 13 minutes, and then you get taken into this recovery room. Where you, um, where you recover. Thank you. And what, they basically want to check that you've come out of the anaesthetic okay. So the idea is you're in the recovery room for 30 minutes and then you get moved to the ward. They discovered fairly quickly that they thought that I was okay. Um, and the end of the half an hour um, monitoring there wasn't a space in the ward for me to go back to. So I basically got stuck in the recovery room. And while you're in the recovery room, even if they think you're okay, they have to keep monitoring you at the highest level because that's what they do there. So after being there for about an hour and a half, the guy who was looking after me said, if you're here much longer, I'm going to have to start charging you rent. And he brought me an iPad to read the news um, on. Another hour later, um, they're still having to do this high level of monitoring. So he brought a student nurse to take charge of me. I think I was the first person that she'd been put in charge of in the recovery area. So she was quite nervous. I tried to chat to her, but she was very focused on looking at the machines in front of her and making the recordings and the thing. So we just coexisted in this space for about three quarters of an hour. And then suddenly she goes, oh no, this is bad. <laughs> take, take deep breaths. So I'm going, <sighs> she goes, no, no, it's your oxygen. Maybe, maybe it's not deep breaths. Maybe it's shallow breaths. Take shallow breaths. So I'm going, <sighs> she goes, oh no, now your heart stopped. <laughs> and I say, I don't think so. 
At which point she kind of checked and she realized that the, the things connecting me to the machine, she'd rolled her chair back and had disconnected the cables. So there, there wasn't a kind of major panic on after, after all. I was relieved to discover that I wasn't dead. Um, and I'm pretty sure that when you're training to be a nurse, oh no, this is bad, isn't the first thing you're supposed to communicate to the person that you're, you're, looking, you're looking after. But it's a, it's a good reminder that we can be faced with conflicting information at times of crisis and change. And that what somebody thinks might be going on isn't necessarily the reality of what is going on. So the question of what can you trust, what can you put your hope in, is a more important question than how do you feel? Because how we feel is going to fluctuate through all kinds of different circumstances. What people's opinion is of what's happening to us is going to fluctuate through all kinds of different things. So we need to know what we can rely on, what we can depend on, what will be true through the changing seasons of life. And that really is why the Word of God is such a significant thing for us that this is the thing that helps us to know what is going on in the world, what is true, and how it relates to, to us. Psalm 119 is more or less the center of the Bible. If you're, um, if you're statistically inclined, you might like to know the exact center is Psalm 118 verse 8, and you can Google that later if you're that kind of person. But Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the, book of, in the book of Psalms. And it really comes out of somebody's experience of life and somebody wrestling with the ups and downs of life as they have faced it. Just before the bit that we had read in verse 89, we have this um, said, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. And basically what the, the writer of the psalm is saying is that your word is an ontological reality. Now, if you're wondering what the word ontological means, it's really about the essential nature of being. It's about the reality of the universe and how things fit together. And the psalmist is really saying that God's word is one of the key fundamental things that helps us understand everything that we know about the world and everything we know about ourselves. Your word is eternal. Your faithfulness endures. You established the earth. Everything serves you. God's word brought the universe into being. In the beginning was God, and then God speaks. And it's through God's speaking that creation comes into, comes into play. When Jesus comes, the start of John, it is described as in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That the Word of God is an essential 
method of us, it's essential insight into us understanding who God is and what God is doing in the world. The writer speaks about um, how this helps him to understand the things that he is going through in life. I worked in the, in the UK some years ago and was in a Christian ministry there that was in a period of turmoil and upheaval. There was a leadership team that was quite divided. And the person who was leading the team got quite a lot of criticism from some of the people who were on the leadership team. And I realize these kinds of things wouldn't happen in Canada or in a, in a church like Granville Chapel. But, you know, these, these, these things do happen occasionally in places like Scotland. And one of, the, one of the things that I said to the team leader as a kind of constant reminder, as a kind of code, was I used to say to him, the sky is blue. And it was kind of reminding him that no matter what people said about him, there was a truth that could be known. There was a truth that could be accessed. And the sky is blue was code for this kind of thing. It was code for God is sovereign. God is in charge. God is working out his purposes. God has spoken. God has revealed himself. God has shown us how we are to live in response to who he is and what he has done in, in history. The writer moves on to, to talk about, in verse, um, in verse 92, how the word of God has changed him. That if it hadn't been for God's word, he would have perished. That God's word has preserved his life. That it has helped him to face destruction and to know salvation. That God's word has made a practical and fundamental and foundational difference to him in his life. So because of that, he is able to say, oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. Now, I'm Scottish, and Scottish people are not renowned for their enthusiasm. I don't know if you've seen Andy Murray being interviewed after he's won a tennis tournament, but Andy Murray being euphoric is kind of, oh, I'm quite pleased that I won the tennis tournament. Um, and that's a, that's a high level of, uh, of emotion. When Alex Ferguson was managing the Aberdeen football team, he used to say that when the crowd were excited, they used to rustle their sweetie papers. So the idea of coming out loud and saying, how I love something with enthusiasm doesn't fit culturally that easily with me. You know, the Scottish kind of Scottish guy, you know, says, I told my wife on the day that we got married that I loved her, and I told her if I ever changed my mind, I'd let her know. <laughs> that, that's the kind of, the sort of outpouring of, of emotion. But the psalmist is saying, how I love your word. How precious, how special, how valuable is your word to me. I don't know if you sit here this morning thinking that you really love God's Word, that God's, love is God's Word is precious, it's valuable, it's vital. 
I kind of love my phone. I get separation anxiety when I'm not sure where it is. I stroke it on a regular basis. It gives me insights into the world. It's a portal to a virtual community around the world. It tells me the news. It tells me what's happening in sport. It tells me what to do on a daily basis through my, through my schedule. You know, this, this is pretty special. There is more computing power in my hand than undergirded the Apollo 11 moon landings in their entirety. But this is nothing compared to this. Because if, if this gives insights into the world that I live in from the perspective of me, this gives perspective into the world that I live in from the perspective of him. And this shows me what God is like in a way that is unchanging. One of the problems with this is that it is geared to tell me what I want to hear. So my social media feed is dictated by an algorithm based on what it's decided I will be interested in. I opened up a second profile a couple of years ago, just out of curiosity, where I started liking um, Donald Trump and Brexit. And they, um, not things that I'm generally that enthusiastic about on a general basis. And it was astonishing how different the things that came to me were. I found it quite irritating how suddenly I was bombarded and reinforced with things that I disagreed with. See, God loves us enough that he doesn't just tell us what we want to hear. He shows us what he is like in his word and asks us to respond to that. And the writer talks about he loves God's word because, in the verses following verse 97, it makes him wise, it gives him insight, it brings understanding, and it brings security. It keeps him from the evil path. It keeps him, helps him to hate every um, path that leads to error and helps him to walk in God's ways, in ways that he grows in wisdom and understanding and where he has security, even if it is not always popular or if it might be challenging to how he wants to do things instinctively. And that leads into probably one of the best known verses in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, verse 105, where he says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. But it's a light to guide me and a lamp to my, to my path. So it's saying it helps us to see where we're going and it helps us to navigate what's in front of us. I kind of understood this better for the first time some years ago when I was spending a week on a Christian focus week at a secondary school in a remote part of Scotland on Rannoch Moor. And it was one of these places that at night it got very dark because it's a long way from the, the lights of a, of a city. We were staying in the chaplain's house, which was across some playing fields and some, some um, uneven areas. And basically, you got back in the dark 
because the chaplain left the light on outside his house. And that showed you where the house was. And you had to remember to take a torch so that you could see what was in front of you. If you forgot your torch, you would get there, but you would get there quite messy because you went stumbling through mud and puddles and all kinds of nonsense. If, you, if the chaplain forgot to put his light on, you would be reasonably kind of preserved, but it would take you ages to get there because you were so busy watching out what was in front of you, you couldn't keep track of where you, where you were. And both those things had happened in the, the week that we were there. Second last night we were there, the chaplain forgot to put his light on and we forgot our torch. So you're stumbling across in the, in the darkness, trying to, to find the way, and then suddenly the chaplain puts his light on and you think, fantastic, I know where I'm going. So I started going towards the, the light and to my surprise, the ground became a bit crunchy underfoot and then I put my foot into the edge of the loch because the light that I was so boldly walking towards was actually on a fishing boat that was offshore <laughs> rather than in the chaplain's house, um, run the chaplain's house at all. And that's part of the problem, that in the darkness, people will navigate by whatever light is available. And what the psalmist is saying is that your word is the reliable light. Your word will show me the way to go and will take me home, but it will also help me to navigate what is immediately in front of me. It will help me to deal with whatever is in my, in my path because it will illuminate. And light is the, is, is the only thing that helps us to cope with darkness, to cope with the stuff that would trip us up the stuff that would ensnare us, the stuff that would make us stumble and fall. That light is the, is the way of overcoming that. It doesn't remove the obstacles. You know, it's not like we've got a, a Star Trek phaser type thing that we can zap what's in front of us and it disappears. It's that it helps us to see and to understand and to get through what's there with God's help. And to have that bigger picture in mind of where God is calling us and what we're, what we're moving towards. God's word makes a massive difference to us. Which is why we should value it and why we should engage with it. And one of the tragedies of many churches around the Western world is that they've got slightly tired of the Word of God and don't promote engagement with the Word of God as being absolutely fundamental in the life and community of the people of God. Our church in New Zealand, there was a, a woman who never came when the sermon was from the Old Testament because she, she didn't really like the God of the Old Testament. It's like the kind of time before God became a Christian. But Paul communicating to Timothy says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. That engaging with the Bible is essential if we are to know God and to follow God and to become like God. 
that transformation that is at the heart of what you aspire to as God's people in this place is affected through the Spirit of God applying the Word of God in the life of the people of God. It can't be a, an extra on the, on the edge. There can't be things that become more important or more vital or more valuable or more useful than the Word of God. Also in, in 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, to do your best to present yourself to one approved, a workman who correctly handles the word of truth. And I find it quite useful to think about handling the word of God in terms of using all five fingers as making it easier to handle it correctly. So I, in terms of sort of using the word of God, I have kind of five fingers that help me think about how I handle God's word, how I access God's, God's word, how it can have that transformative effect in me. So the first finger is hear. Hearing means listening to God's word being taught and explained like happens on a, on a Sunday morning. The second finger is read, that reading God's word to get a sense of what the sweep of Scripture is and letting us, letting it, it shape and inform our bigger picture thinking. You know how many chapters of the Bible you have to read each day to get through the Bible in a year? Four will get you through the, um, the whole Bible and the New Testament twice. So, four chapters a day or 28 chapters a week uh, will get you through the Bible in a year. If you do four chapters a week, how long will it take you to read through the whole Bible? Seven years, very good. And it's important that we spend time reading through the Bible because it's all there for a purpose. You know, that it's not, it's not just about a few kind of stories in Genesis and some Psalms and a couple of kind of random quotes and then a little bit in the, in the New Testament and avoiding the kind of bits that are, that are difficult. That it's all there for a purpose and just getting a sense of how it all joins up is going to help us. So we should all be people who want to read through the whole Bible at some kind of commitment to, to get there, whether it's in a year or seven years or, you know, just if you're interested, if you read one chapter a week, it'll take you 28 years to get through the Bible. You know, so if you're, if you're under about the age of 70, then that might be a thing to, 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 set, your, to set your heart on. So the first finger was? Here, second finger was. Third finger is study. That we need to be applying our mind to understanding Scripture. And that means looking at it in context and then understanding what it meant in its context and how that applies to us today. So that we don't take a shortcut of just looking at a verse of Scripture and thinking, well, this is what this means 
in Granville today. But we have a sense of, well, what did it mean in Philippi? And then what do we learn from that in terms of how it applies to Vancouver and Canada in the, in the 21st century? One of the frustrations that I have with students is that I meet students who are doing high-level academic work, but when it comes to their Bible engagement, are still doing primary school kind of thinking. Partly because a lot of churches' youth programs don't really help people to begin to apply their minds to the Word of God. And it's you know, reasonably entertaining eating peanut butter out of a diaper occasionally, but it's not really going to advance your thinking and your joined-up understanding of how God's Word relates to every aspect of life. And you will wind up with a compartmentalized life where you get the important stuff in your school studies or in your university studies, and you get a little bit of entertainment and some friendship at, at church and perhaps some encouragement, but it's not really going to help you join those things up so you understand how your faith relates to your studies and how the Bible applies to your money and your hospitality and your career and your choices that you make and your relationships on the way through, on the way through life. And that's where um, some resources can help us. And it's where small groups can, can help us, particularly if a small group will actually help us to study the Word of God rather than just share our opinions or our ideas or our, or our insights. First finger, second finger, third finger, fourth finger, memorize. That memorizing um, bits of Scripture is a really important thing. One of the, the things it says in Psalm 119 is talking about keeping your way pure by being committed to God's Word and by storing up God's Word in our heart is one of the, the ways that we can help make good choices on the way through life. When I was um, looking at this passage for, for today, um, I read a couple of people who actually recommended that memorizing Psalm 119 in its entirety would be a fantastic thing to, to do. Um, I would probably set my sights to something a little bit um, shorter than that if you were just starting, if you were just starting out. I spent one summer um, working on the Operation Mobilization ship, the, the Logos, and I met a guy there who kind of said to me, what's your scripture memorization like? And I said, oh, I know a few, a few verses. He said, how'd you like to learn Philippians? And I said, sure, which part? And he said, no, Philippians. And I said, oh. Because he'd been working through, he'd already memorized First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians, and he was starting working on, on Philippians. So for the next kind of couple of weeks, we learned Philippians um, together. I don't um, know it all now because I haven't kind of reviewed it, but sometimes when I'm tired or a bit kind of spaced out and I'm praying, a large chunk of Philippians will appear in the kind of prayer. And the people that I'm with will think, goodness me, that's fantastic. And it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's actually Philippians. It's not just, <laughs> it's not just me kind of making this stuff, uh, making this stuff up. But you will never regret any bit of scripture that you, that you memorize. And having 
even a few verses are like a starting point. You know, you can stick something on the mirror that you do your makeup in in the morning or that you, you, you shave in, um, or you can have it on the, the, the screen that comes up on your phone or on your, on your laptop. Um, I probably wouldn't put it on, on the windscreen because, you know, that's a bit of a distraction when you're driving in, in, the, in the morning. But if you can find, find a way of kind of doing it. But in my experience, the best thing actually in terms of memorizing scripture is doing it with somebody else who will kind of check up on you and how you're, how you're getting on, which is where, you know, having a kind of reasonably low bar can be encouraging to kind of start off with. You know, I'd like to learn a verse this month. You know, I think that's, a, that's an achievable goal for most people. So we've got and the last finger is meditate. And meditation is greatly helped by the fourth finger of memorize because it means you can think about God's word when you're doing other stuff, that you can think about God's word when you're cycling or when you're driving because it's there in the forefront of your, of your mind. The difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation is that Eastern meditation is clearing stuff away, whereas Christian meditation is actually focusing in on something. It's meditating on something which is true, focusing on something about God which is, which is real. Because God has spoken to us God hasn't left us in the darkness. So trying to clear ourselves of everything isn't actually the way to discover more of reality. The way to discover more of reality is being able to focus in on God through his word, which is why God's word is the key to that transformation that is being, that is being spoken about. So my question in terms of those kind of five fingers is um, which of those five fingers is the most emaciated in your handling of the Word of God? You've probably got one or two quite well-developed fingers, but you've quite probably, most of us have got one that's a little bit kind of undeveloped or a couple that are slightly kind of, are slightly undeveloped. So just take, um, just take 90 seconds this now to turn to the person next to you and say, I think this is my strongest finger, and I think this is my weakest finger, and this is kind of what I might like to do about it.
When we were living in New Zealand um, a few years ago, there was uh, a politician became the leader of the opposition and went on to become the, the prime minister in due course. But when they first achieved high office, they asked one of their friends what they were like. And the answer was, they're a terrific guy. They've got fantastic antennae, but they haven't got a compass. And I think that sums up much of the leadership that we see around the Western world. Leaders who've got antennae, who can pick up the spirit and the opinions of the people around them and know what they want to hear, but don't actually have a compass in terms of a clear direction and a vision of how they should live and how people should be encouraged to move forward. And God's word is is that compass. It helps us to navigate. It helps us to see clearly how we are to live, not just in a consensus, but through a calling in terms of what God wants us to do and how God wants us to live in response to his grace. And we obviously know far more about God and his word than the writer to the Psalms did because we know Jesus and we have seen his grace more clearly extended to us. And we have a greater idea of the hope of glory that we're called to and a clearer understanding of what it means to be the people of God in the world. So it's all the more important that we are all the more committed to the bigger version of God's word that has been entrusted to us in terms of helping us to navigate and helping us to help other people to navigate and to see the truth about God and their own lives and their future. So the Word of God becomes vital in evangelism. One of the best things we can ever do is to help someone who isn't a Christian read God's Word for themselves, particularly the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, so that they don't get confused by second-hand ideas and opinions, but they're able to actually meet Jesus and make an informed decision about who they are. I was at Vanier College in Montreal a couple of months ago, little Bible study group meeting at lunchtime. People were going round at the, the start explaining who they were, introducing themselves. This girl says, I'm a Muslim. I've grown up as a Muslim. Um, I'm happy to be a Muslim, but I need to know if Islam is true. So I want to check out Jesus for myself, and I know the only way I can do that is by reading the Bible for myself, that I can't just believe what Christians say or believe what, what the Iman says or what my family say. I need to find out what is true. I need to find out if Islam is true or if Jesus is real and what that means for, for me. You know, what a fantastic thing for a student to be committed to, to doing as part of their, their education. Just last week, when we were in uh, Manitoba, the University of Manitoba, we went to a student Bible study on a Saturday morning. When the students suggested having a Saturday morning Bible study, the InterVarsity staff worker was a bit skeptical. They didn't believe that Saturday morning was the best time to be doing Bible study. But the student kind of persisted, and because we believe in student leadership, the staff worker kind of went along with it slightly against their, their better wishes. 
And they, um, to their surprise, there have been 15, 16 students meeting regularly for Bible study on a Saturday morning. So we went to kind of to see this in, in action. We split into small groups at the end of the, the study going through Mark. One of the guys in our small group said, you know, I've, I've just been coming since January. I was invited to come by that guy, by that guy over there. I'm quite impressed by, by Jesus from what I've seen. But I, um, I don't really see anything. I just kind of sit watching. But I want to ask a question this morning. So he asked a question about something Jesus had said in the Bible passage that we're looking at. And one or two folks answered the question that he was asking. So he said, so it sounds like I might have to make a decision about Jesus rather than just thinking he's kind of quite interesting, that there might be some kind of response that has to be, to be made. And I said, yeah, that's probably a pretty fair summary. And so, so how important a decision do you think it is about what, what, what you do with Jesus? I said, well, that's a great question. It's probably the very most important decision that you make about anything. But it was really engaging with God's word that was moving him on in his understanding of what needed to, to happen in his life. And just as engaging with God's word is vital in our outreach, it's also vital in our discipleship. And if you take nothing else away from Psalm 119, it's that the word of God speaks to us in the realities of life, facing ups and downs, facing danger, facing hardship, facing opposition that God's word speaks to us because God's presence is with us. And the word of God and the presence of God together are really important because the presence of God without the word of God is a bit of a scary thing. But God speaks and God comes and God meets with us because of who he is. And that's where those ontological realities that I spoke about at the beginning are really important in helping us navigate, in helping us have the light to see what's going on, in helping us to, to understand that the sky is blue and this is how we live in the midst of what we, of what we face. That remembering God's sovereignty, remembering God's creativity, remembering God's power, actually helps us to cope as he speaks to us in the middle of whatever we're facing in, in life. We're having lunch today with a, a friend and a colleague in InterVarsity who's been diagnosed with quite a serious cancer in the last couple of, in the last couple of weeks. Really hard for him and for his, his uh, family. Just started um, chemotherapy on, on Wednesday. How do, you, how do you cope when you're in the middle of stuff like that? Not easy for any of us. But it comes partly from an understanding that God is the one who gives life, that God is the one who sustains life, that all of us, our hearts beat because of the power of God at work in the world. God didn't create the world like a clockwork toy and wind it up and leave it. God's power sustains us through the seasons, through the seasons of the year, through the seasons of the life. It's God's power that makes the earth spin. It's God who brings 
healing. Whether it's being cured or being healed, if you want to differentiate those things, it's still God who affects the change in people, who affects that regeneration of of tissue or deals with that particular symptom or that particular or that particular disease. So so Steve is kind of in a place where he's committed to the the treatment but understands that the doctors don't know exactly what the parameters of the outcomes might be. But with a strong belief that God knows how his days are numbered. And that following God through this course of events and listening to God's word through what is happening to him is the key to him being sustained and to helping those around him to to navigate what he's facing. So his Caring Bridge page is inevitably full of scripture because he has been reading God's word and it's been helping him to evaluate all that's going on in a, in a different kind of a, of a way. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in at the moment, in terms of your life stage, in terms of your work, in terms of your, your relationships, fantastic to, to be reminded this morning that God's word is special because God is special, that God's word is powerful because God is powerful that we can listen because God speaks and we have access to God's word in a way that helps us to see clearly where we're going and to see more clearly the challenges that are immediately in front of us and that it keeps us from stumbling. It gives us security. It gives us wisdom. It gives us knowledge. It gives us understanding and it helps us to follow Jesus because God wants us to know him, and God wants us to become like him. He wants to effect that transformation in our lives. And he has spoken to us and given us his word to help us to to do that so that we can know Jesus and make him known as we are excited and refreshed by the word of God. We're going to move into a time of uh, musical worship right now and and prayer. And um, if you are on the prayer ministry team, would you please come up? Um, If any of what Nigel was speaking on this morning stirred anything in you or challenged you, um, why not come and pray pray into that? Um, Let's take what he's shared with us and just say, hey, God, this God this. If there's anything else that you'd also like prayer for, um, all of that is prayed for in confidentiality, so you can come on up to the people who are, um, will be right in front here. Um, yeah, for the rest of you, I invite you to take on a posture of, of worship that you would feel you want to express. Like, you can, you can stand, you can open your hands to receive, you can kneel um, this space Um, is our space together, but your space with the Lord. So I invite you to stand or take whatever posture you'd like.
Cause we come to you to 